This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 68. Yeah. We are going to wrap up the WPO Super Finals from Mm -hmm. 2021 today. Yes, sir. But let's start with tying up some loose ends. Mm -hmm. Um, We got a lot of good feedback on the last couple episodes. Um, Why lifters leave the sport. Got some late feedback. You know, one of our listeners, uh, Travis McKinney, part Mm -hmm. of the Wisconsin crew, made the point that a lot of lifters will have a definitive offseason where they, you know, will maybe just do something else. And I think he said he does like – like mud run kind of things, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was like Tough Mudder, Spartan, that kind of stuff. So we, it's cool, Travis. We know you're on the way out. No, we do, man. I'm <laughs> yeah, kidding. MMA is totally coming next, Totally Travis. kidding. Bodybuilding, then MMA, then, you know, bill, bills get tight. Who knows? OnlyFans is a reverse of decision, so. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think from a training perspective, it makes a good deal of sense to have a definitive offseason and not – you can't redlining all around. Like, no, no you doubt. Can't. No. You can't, you know, you can't go full gear – both, both, all year round, all as, the time. As we were discussing right before we t- turned on the recording. <laughs> yes, no doubt. Yeah, um, we were sent a video. Oh my god! Of Hut Houston literally getting tased at his gym. I almost think we should repost that video. I feel like we should because like, it's. I think it's a public Instagram post, so it's not like it's private or anything. I don't yeah, think it's, that's something else, man. That the legend of Hut Houston grows continues to grow. Yep. Um, a lot of good feedback, and we only released the episode not too far before this recording. Yeah, a couple, three days. A um, um, lot of good feedback on the Coefficient episode. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people said they liked it, had some opinions on it. Mm-hmm. It was pointed out, uh, Gimel and I talked about Herb Glossbender's Glossbender formula, mm-hmm. and I said I couldn't remember which two formulas he averaged, and one of our listeners from Australia, James Wakefield, mm-hmm. pointed out that it was an average of Swartz Malone and the Wilkes, which I thought it was Swartz Malone and Reschel, because Reschel was the previous formula of the APF WPC, right. designed by former APF technical officer Greg Reschel, and the contention was always that it was favored towards his wife, Dawn Reschel. Interesting. So I I did not believe, or I did not I did not remember that Wilkes was part of the Glossbender formula. That's quite interesting. And I think we'll probably have an episode in the future diving specifically into the Wilkes formula and maybe even just into Robert Wilkes. There's sure. a lot. There, there. There's a lot there. A lot of meat on that bone. Yep. Other than that, Mr. Bain, what is going on? Uh, as we will discuss later in the episode about the WPO, uh, I'm recovering, recovered from the weekend. Uh, my arm is fine. Uh, I know a lot of folks messaged and asked about that. So uh, the arm is good to go. Uh, went and actually got it checked out by my ortho who did the surgery. Uh, we did a couple quick x-rays just to make sure everything was good. We don't see any damage on both the left or the right arm. And that was a, a concern we had given that I had a similar incident of a catch at the 2020 semifinals. Uh, and then shortly thereafter is when I uh, ruptured my, uh, my distal tendon. So uh, he and I are going to follow up in about a month just to make sure there's no other additional damage. Uh, but as of right now, you know, weeks week post, uh, we appear to be in good shape. So, Stone, why don't you? Well, in relation to your arm. Makes sense. Let's see. We're working it out. We'll see. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, Downtime for us at 2XL um, until... uh, Much needed. 
AWPC Worlds in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the gym is celebrating seven years this month uh, in August. Which is exciting, man. Like, so, mo- most businesses never make it to, to three, so let alone you guys have doubled that. So Yeah. I mean, I think our anniversary has been more moved to January since that's when we moved into this space. Mm-hmm. But we did. Uh, we started in August of 2014. That's awesome. So man. we're seven years in. Very, very cool. Um, other than that, Mr. Bain. You are fake news. What is fake news, Mr. Bain? Uh, in-app purchases are oh, fake news. Oh, boy. I, yep. I have some real strong opinions about this one. Yeah. I So I like the concept of in-app purchases when they are controlled. I do not like the concept that I can share, do a family share, but that also means that my kids potentially have access to my Apple Pay, in my case, uh, because we have iPhones, and can potentially run up incredible charges or sign us up for things that we don't realize until we see it on our on our bill where the it's in-app purchase sad. it is it is so as if for instance so we pay for six iphones yikes so there's six people in the, in the family and at this point with the amount of like places they go activities it just it makes sense for us to have a way to communicate and with us being fans of the apple ecosystem it just made sense to go forward with that however i get my my uh t-mobile now bill used to be sprint uh, for ne- for next month, and I see a significant rise. We're talking 130 extra dollars month over month. It's sad. And I figure out what it is. It is because Ella had downloaded a couple apps, and the free trials had expired. And they were, are you ready for this? 59.99 per month. What kind of fucking apps are these? These are like literally drawing apps, like the kid, like. $60 per month. fucking dollars. I can't even imagine $6 or $60 total. I, I have paid for the last five, six years, $10 a month to be a Jurassic World Builder VIP. Because I like Jurassic World Builder. Also. Nerd! Jesus Christ with the ear cancer, you fucker. I should find that drop. Don't yeah, worry. We'll, 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 we'll compress that a little bit. We'll compress that in Good the editing world. And, and I'll take that because I love dinosaurs and I love Jurassic World, so... Uh, yeah, so I've, I've spent that, but I, I was just in shock because it doesn't pop up as an Apple receipt. It then shows up on your, on your phone bill. Wow. Yeah. That, that's a scam right there. It, complete scam. So I had to deal with Apple on that today. That was not very fun. But You know, yeah. my brother had that where his stepdaughter, and he, he, she did it at the dad's house, so not at the mom's house where, yeah. who my brother's married to. Some kind of app, and you know, she ran up like a three hundred dollar bill on oh, iTunes. Yeah. No, no one did the same thing on like Dragon World Builder or something. Another one of these, like you know, long term. Right. Yeah, eight hundred fucking dollars in one yeah. weekend. Luckily, I don't know about you guys, but my brother was able to get it off. His yeah, bill. yeah. Like once I saw because th- those ones came through with Apple receipts, yeah. and so I was able to real quick, mm. like, nope, psh, put a squash on that. So yeah, in app purchases, fucking bullshit. I mean, it 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 definitely pays to look at your fucking. Like to credit card bill or debit card bill or hundred percent your phone bill. Like when it when it comes to that, yes, I understand that I do spend money. I am tighter than two goats of pain when it comes to like monitoring our finances. So when I feel like blowing cash, it's not a big deal. Understood. So Stone, what is your fake news? Oh, back to the original. Yes, yes, a little throwback. Um, any alcohol that comes in a plastic container. Just avoid at well, all costs. Why would you say this? Yeah. I was doing pretty fine with my drinking. Had a couple margaritas with dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, that, know, me- that Mexican place was dope, too. Yeah, it was very good. Very, very good um, food. And, you know, had some of my bullet bourbon mm-hmm. when we were sitting down by the pool. Big fan if you're ever getting, uh, you know, gifts for Eric, bullet bourbon, always accepted. 
Definitely. Uh, and then I had the really, really bad idea to partake in a Fred Clary travel size bottle of root beer, 99 proof alcohol, which basically was like, imagine you took a root beer sucker you'd get from the barber and then like melt it and rubbing alcohol. That's, That's bas- basically, yeah, basically what it tasted like. And I, I can't remember the last time I felt that awful as I did the next morning and I didn't get sick. I didn't throw up. I wasn't like shit face or anything. Just that just shitty alcohol, just basically poison. <laughs> Avoid alcohol in plastic containers. Any any alcohol given to you by Fred Clare in a plastic container, avoid at all costs. Fred Clare, I don't think that really improves your immune system, though, does it? I mean, what asks? I, I mean, I was told to swish, uh, you know, alcohol around my mouth and Listerine, yeah. but not drink it out of a plastic bottle, 99 proof. You know, it is what it is, but uh, I, I will say that those couple of nights in the pool with the WPO roster were uh, that was something else. That's yeah. all I'll say. You, you got to come to the meets to to experience that yourself. It was it was something else. Yeah, I only was there the one night, and then after the WPO the Sunday, then uh, Gimmel and I, and eventually you came down there. We're at yep. uh, at the the hotel bar you know, with the happy hour. Yep. Um, I drank more that night, and uh, I felt better the next day because I, I stuck to not necessarily. I don't just drink top shelf, but I think we were above well. Yeah, at we, the very least, we were. What's above well? Uh, fuck, I don't know, man. Uh, there's something above well before top shelf. I can't remember. My bartender people can probably correct me on that. Yeah, what? what call. Daniel, let's call. Oh, call. Yeah. You so call. It, yeah, it. It, it was call alcohol for happy hour at the Embassy Suites, which was fine. Um, but anyways, <coughs> let's move on, Mr. Bain. Yeah, we, we got a lot to talk about with the WPO. Yeah. So, so uh, we'll, we'll go through a quick stone story. Yeah, this, um, this is a fun one. This is uh, actually, this one gained a, a decent uh, legend, at least this, uh, this concept. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Um, so this was this was an interesting one. I think I maybe referenced this before, but I haven't gone fully in depth. So we ran APF Raw Nationals in 2016. Mm-hmm. This was our first meet with the Weston and Lombard, um, which is also hosted USAPL Raw Nationals, um, a couple other meets. US, mm-hmm. US, uh, USA Weightlifting's had meet there. It's, it's a nice venue. Um, standard three-day meet, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think it was women and bench only on Friday. I think it was like age groups, like teen junior master on Saturday and open men on Sunday. Typical, you know, uh, split up of days. Um, in like the national world meet requirements, there's a separate sanction form that you have to sign for that. And it's got a, a lot of requirements that are not necessarily like have to be followed for local meets. And one of them is that lifters are supposed to have access to the scale 24 hours out from when so mm-hmm. they can, the official scale so they can check their weight right and we only had access to the hotel thursday friday saturday sunday with thursday being the first wins so the for, lifters for friday lifters right and so friday lifters they might want to check their weight on wednesday for weighing and on thursday these are friday lifters this yep. is women and bench only lifters yep um and i i sent i actually was able to find this email and I wasn't maybe as specific as I could have been, but I emailed all the lifters and just said, you could access the scale on Wednesday at 2XL. At the time, I think we were eight York, no, yeah, eight Yorktown Convenience Center, our mm-hmm. original location, and we could access the scale our regular hours, like nine to noon, four to nine, and access basically just for that, for Friday lifters. For checking where you are as far as your weight. Right, Friday lifters to be able to check their weight for Thursday wins. So that evening... In walks a Sunday lifter. <laughs> he's all sweaty. He's bald, and like he's literally covered in sweat. I think he might have even had like a sweat, like a like a rubber suit on. Jesus. And I mean, he's just covered in sweat. And I'm like, uh, can I help you? 
He's like, oh, I'm to weigh in? I'm like, well, you can check your weight. And I'm like, uh, you know, I, I just – he's like, oh, I thought you said there was weigh-ins today, 9 to noon, 49. I was like, I said you could access the scale. And he's like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, what did you lift? And he's like, Sunday? And I'm like, you can't weigh in until Saturday. Jesus Christ. So this lifter – and he was from the northern suburbs. He was not from out of town. But he had driven an hour plus – to come down and weigh in on Wednesday for Sunday for Sunday lifting, and this was not this is a national meet. This was not his first meet, obviously. So once again, um, I'm a lifter. You can't expect me to read. Lifters don't actually read. Um, unreal. Like you, just, you can't make this shit up. Yeah, unbelievable. And I, I know the place that he used to work, and so I texted his boss, my buddy Irv Demansky, and I was yeah. like, uh, "Your employee just showed up to weigh in on Wednesday for Sunday lifting." Good times. Wow. Unreal. Um, let's move on to our hot topic, Mr. Bain. We've got a couple of them, really. Yeah, um, this is, uh, it's been quite the day, quite the couple days. Yeah, so King of the Lists posts a graph. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know the efficacy of this, this graph. I don't know, you know. I'm assuming it was pulled from open parallel. It was, um, you know, and we'll just assume that it's relatively correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but King of the Lists, at King of the Lists, posted a graph, the number of lifters, and the, the like, headline of it was that in 2021 – the USPA has surpassed the USAPL, mm-hmm. and the APF had overtaken the RPS, and we were kind of a distant third and fourth. Yep. Um, and this was based on open powerlifting data. Uh, to be fair to the APF, uh, we still have some old-school meet directors, and I'm not sure that all of them always send the results into open powerlifting. Right. I'm not sure if Jem, like, scours the APF WPC website to get, like, all of our, you know, meet results right. on there unless they're sent to her. Um, and... In, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it was uh, stated that the, the individual who compiled this data said lifters are only counted once per year. So if you lift in three meets, you're one lifter. Right. And I don't know how that would affect the data one way or the other. But, um, you know, the, again, the, their headline was for the first time ever, the USPA has surpassed the USAPL. Sure. And I guess the USAPL's response or the lifters were that, you know, in 2020, USPA ostensibly, like the APF and others, started rerunning meets again with less restrictions. The USAPL yeah. for a while weren't running any meets and they were requiring mass, which would turn lifters some some lifters off. Term yeah, some lifters off. Yep. So uh here's the thing. So as you already stated, the reality is that the USAPL was much more conservative in their return. Uh they just they took their time, they had a little a little more restriction. Uh it's natural, you said it there, with fewer events that they would just have simply have less members counted through those results. Sure. Uh, and I would say, honestly, the saying, hey, we've surpassed is very similar to a lot of businesses saying, hey, on Black Friday, we, you know, hit certain numbers or metrics that we've never hit before. Yes, because you have a surge in sales in that case or in this case, you know, members because they simply didn't have an option. Now, if it was consistently year over year over year, yes, you've now surpassed. But a single year, given all the different things going on, I don't. it's not an apples to apples comparison in my view. Yeah, I mean, and the graph was very stark that basically all uh, all meets dipped in 2020. Yep. I mean, all federations, um, as far as number of lifters at meets, I mean, there was a huge dip for the USAPL. What was striking to me is that according to this data, USAPL had 12,000 lifters in 2019, which I'm not saying is wrong. It sounds actually correct, but that's a lot of lifters. That is. It's a lot. That, that seems fairly unprecedented. Um, yeah, I mean, all, all, meet, all meets dip, dipped in 2020. And like you said, the, the USAPL had more restrictions. So I'm not, not really... Not 2XL. We did a whole year's of the meets in yeah, four months. Yeah, exactly. I'm not surprised by the data. Um, but I think with the next news we'll go over, 
it's plausible that that could be a continuing trend. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and as I was actually writing these notes. Um, hot off the presses. Hot off the presses. According to the USAPL, I've, I've seen no press release directly from the IPF, but according to the USAPL, they have been suspended for 12 months from the IPF, effective immediately. And that means that lifters that qualified for Worlds from the U.S. are not eligible to go. And the day before this, the USAPL announced their, quote, pro series. And I'm sure there's more to come there, but they stated today that they have around, uh, I think it was $200,000 that they normally have allocated to IPF expenses yep. that can now be reallocated to prize money and to this pro series. So, Super interesting to see what comes of that. I know we're going to hear more as, as time goes on. Uh, I'm just really interested to watch what happens over these 12 months. Uh, what impact, I mean, lifters, it's really interesting to look at the USAPL's post and to see lifter reactions to this. It's not unanimous. Oh, well, look what they've done to you. It's, yeah, you fucks, you guys did it wrong. They asked for one thing and you wouldn't do it. Yeah. So it's super interesting to, to observe this and watch this. Yeah, I honestly see both sides to this, and I think if the I, I, I honestly don't think it has to do with the drug testing. I think it has to do with politics, if I'm being totally honest. 100% I does. think this is a power play by the IPF, and I think if the IPF really wanted the USAPL to remain a member, they would have come up with a compromise that fit 100%, 100%. If they wanted to compromise, if they actually wanted to achieve their goal of you know, proper drug testing, which is what their stated goal by moving everything to WADA, um, they would have come up with a compromise for the USAPL. And I mean, they, they, did, they did for the Russians. Yeah. So and we, we've talked about the USAPL IPF situation quite a bit. So yep. uh, I think we can continue to talk about it when there's any new news. But interesting, that was uh, breaking news today. That was. That was just dropped today as of this recording. So let's move on to our Plusa throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We're going to go back to February 1991. Way back. Some pretty interesting news in February of 1991. Um, the Baseball Hall of Fame board voted unanimously 12 to 1 to bar Pete Rose from the Baseball Hall of Fame due to betting on games. Which is interesting because now there's this big push to bring him back. I think he should be, honestly. I'm indifferent. I, I, partially because I just don't care about baseball, but. I mean, I. It, the, I life, the lifetime ban seemed like a good threat, and now once they had to actually. I mean, he called their bluff. Like, do you guys actually want to do this? I mean, you know. I, you, I, to me, you can put him in as a player. I mean, because he did this when he's a manager. So, sure, maybe he shouldn't go in as a manager, but I mean, he's the greatest hitter of all time. Yeah. So, um, on, that was February 4th. February 5th, mm -hmm. a Michigan court bars Dr. Jack Kevorkian from assisting in suicide. Dr. Death. Um, and on February 24th, uh, coalition planes bombed Iraqi forces retreating from Kuwait. It was called, quote, the Highway of Death. I believe this, these are the fairly famous uh, night vision pictures mm -hmm. that we all saw back in the, in the early 90s. And this was kind of at the tail end. I mean, that conflict was very short, it Operation was. Desert Storm. It was basically January to February. So yep. we're right at the tail end of it here in February of 91. Yeah. Um, only to lead to us going into Iraq again in the 2000s. Yeah, no problem. Sure, sure, sure. So, Mr. Bain, what were you doing in February 1991? I mean, I was nine, so I was a third grade, maybe, uh, playing soccer. Nobody cares about soccer! Nope, no one does. Uh, interesting, I actually spent my last night bowling with my uncle uh, in February. He was a double amputee. was actually featured on a couple news programs uh, for starting this bowling league specifically around amputees as a way to like just uh, have some community. And he ended up passing away in July of 91. And that was the last time I ever played with him was in February of 91. What were the reasons for his uh, amputations? Uh, diabetes. Uh, okay. Diabetes. Yeah. Yep, that's tough. Yeah, it was, uh, it was rough. He, uh, you know, thankfully, he went, he went quick and painlessly. And uh, 
you know, didn't have to really suffer too much per se. He was always a uh, always had a big smile on his face to my uncle Mike. But Stone, what were your uh, what were you doing? Um, I would have been eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually probably would have been playing soccer as well at that point. No one cares. Um, I was in second grade with one of my favorite teachers, Mr. Saka, one nice. of my very few male elementary school teachers that had quite an impact. On. In fact, it was after having him that I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And, which... and actually, I was in my – I would consider outside of my dad and my first coach, one of my key mentors growing up, Mr. Crowley, was my third grade teacher and my fifth grade teacher. So that was the first year I had him was the same year. Okay. Um, on the cover of the February 1991 issue of Powerlifting USA, um, we had Yuna Hintinen of Finland, mm-hmm. the 1990 IPF 220 world champion. Yep. But ironically, that looks like that was his last meet, um, at least as, as far as the open powerlifting goes. Um, he competed from 1980 to 1990. His best lifts were a 793 squat, a 451 bench, a 733 deadlift at 220, good for a 1962 total. Solid and total. that would have been single ply suit, but I believe at that point, no bench shirts in the uh, IPF, um, and he had been to the IPF Worlds a couple other times, and that year, 1990, was his only win, and I guess he just decided to, you know, go out on go, top. Call it a day. Um, and they used this picture of him because he's, like, yelling at the bar. He's pretty intense. Yeah, and there was a cover article on, quote, the arousal performance relationship, a review, by one Dan Wagman, who <laughs> is a quite a, uh, a popular, I don't know, maybe not popular, he was one of the figures in our USAPL USPA, USPF, uh, IPF episode. Fairly um, prolific figure. There we go. That's a good, that's a good word for it. Um, you know, it's an interesting article, you know, it talks about, you know, is there an optimum level of arousal for powerlifting? And yeah. I would say there probably is. Um, the article gives the example of Ospie Alexander, who I'm not familiar with, and Ed Cohn. Um, Ospie, or Alexander, was apparently a very up, you know, kind of like the cover uh, article, or the cover of our finish lifter mm-hmm. um, versus Ed Cohen was always very reserved, at least outwardly. You know, he wasn't yelling at the bar and, and getting outwardly excited. Right. Um, you know, and just because somebody is is or is not outwardly excited, I don't know that necessarily means that they are not up or yeah. not. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a – I do think, and as uh, one of our, our coaches, both of our coaches at different times, Eric Marosher in his mm-hmm. article, quote, don't shake the weights mm-hmm. – talked about um you know there there definitely is an optimum level of being up for lifting and it's going to be dependent on the lifter i think some people probably get something out of being a little bit outwardly excited um but you know you see a guy like ed Cohn, you see a guy like dave hoff dave hoff maybe gets a little bit more animated than Cohn does but not super animated no he's really not he's really within himself and then you know after the list yeah then he's he's pretty pretty yeah i mean push pushing louis down give him an adjustment as yeah yeah you know um, but, yeah, I mean, I would say in general the, the research shows in this article that there is a definitive point of diminishing returns where you can be too up mm-hmm. and then – And not execute. Right, and now you're, you've lost your focus essentially. Yep. Um, there's some individuality there, but um, and I, had a, I had like a theory of coaching class in college. That was the same concept talked about as a coach, how you know, some people need to be brought up, yep. and they specifically talked about football. Um, you know, some – Football players maybe need to be brought up and made a little bit more uh, excited versus many, if not most, are especially in high school, they're too... They need to be brought down. Yeah, they need to be brought down. And as a coach, you don't necessarily need a rah-rah speech. Maybe you need a speech just, you know, execute, 
do what you're supposed to do. Yep. Work, you know, focus on your, your assignments, focus on your footwork. I would say most of the time, more athletes probably need brought down than brought up. There, yep. are, there are exceptions. Yep. Um, very interesting article by Leonard uh, Yakolovig, MD. Yakolov. Yakolov. Um, quote, anabolic steroids and Soviet sport. What? The Soviets use anabolic steroids? And this was a pretty extensive review. Um, said that steroids were essentially part of the Soviet training system since the late 60s. No surprise there. Um, talks about how anabolic steroids are training drugs. And mm-hmm. that, you know, they're not just drugs you take and you get stronger and bigger. That you take them in conjunction with training. Right. And they help you get stronger and bigger. And it's going to be harder to catch because, you know... Unless you're testing randomly year-round, and at this time in the 90s, maybe previously in the 80s, they were really only testing at the Olympics and at meets themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy or easier with, say, water-soluble versions of anabolics that can be cleared from your system relatively quickly. Um, You know, he talks about how the Olympic Games began testing in 1976, but it wasn't really until 84 where the technology started to catch up with the technology of the drugs. That's a barely... It, still to this day, they, it's barely caught up. Definitely. Um, and, you know, uh, he talked about how the Soviets talked about beating the test, and they had three solutions. One, develop new anabolic steroids that are, were not detectable by the test. Yep. And, uh, you know, think about the cream and the clear that Barry Bonds used yep. um, in the 2000s. Um, use uh, anabolics, which can be removed from the system within 24 hours, or revert to non-steroidal agents with a highly anabolic effect. Yeah. And I think probably the Soviets, uh, they probably aimed more towards one and two than three. And, and they did so much research. That, that was one of the things that stuck out in the articles. They did hundreds of studies on how to best use anabolics, what the best, you know, what agents worked best for which sports, you know, what is too much. Yep. And how, you know, there's certainly kind of like that level of arousal. There's certainly an optimal level of drugs yep. where, you know, more isn't always better. Um, and said, all in all, the Soviets have much better info, much better data on anabolic use than the U.S., where it was basically, you know, kind of like hidden underground. Right. So uh, we had the top 132s from December 89 to November 90. Top of the squat was our our pal, Doug Heath. Nice. With a 535 squat. Um, he was also top on the bench with a 402 bench. Uh, Lamar Gant, a very well-known lifter, is yep. top of the deadlift, 622. Imagine that. And Doug Heath, top on the total with 1460. Nice. And he did uh, his squat in total. He did May of 90. He did his bench in October of 90. So Doug Heath, uh, top lifter in the 132s back in this era. Gotcha. Um, from the ADFPA top 20 list, the top squat is Greg Beetle Low with an 860 squat. He's also number two in the total with a 2,000 total. And if you don't remember, we've talked about him before. Greg Beetle Low was in prison, I believe, for murder. Jesus Christ. And I think there's, a, there's definitely a story there that we could tell about why was he allowed to go compete at powerlifting meets. And it's kind of like, I, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's just like ironic and like odd that the organization he chose to compete in was the ADFPA. So yeah, murder is okay, but drugs, bad. No, no trend. Yeah. Um, there was an advertisement, which I posted on our Strength and Anger. Uh, yeah, that's, this is cool. Uh, our Strength and Anger Instagram was, and, and Facebook, I suppose, as well, was The Bench from Monolith, the Advantage 2000 series. And it's basically the same bench we have at 2XL. 
And yeah. harkens back to our episode 29, mm-hmm. um, where we talked about the origin of the monolith. It's crazy. That's over a year ago, man. And it started as a bench. Yeah. And then morphed in, and the, the patent is really almost wholly related to the bench. Yeah. And it morphed into the squat rack. And now monolith is basically like... It's a you know, squat utensil. Right. It's basically like, you know, Kleenexes to tissue, even though, you know, the monolith company is long gone. Right. Um, the ADFPA, again, which became the USAPL, at this time sold the newspaper... Uh, called Powerlifting Today, okay. um, six issues a year, $10 for a year, $19 for two years, $27 for three years. You know, not, not a lot of money, but no. I just thought it interesting that they're advertising a literal newspaper. Um, that they, I mean, you know, this is the, the 90s, 80s, so that the yeah. technology of getting things out to people is obviously much different. You, you than didn't now. have the, the digital versions we have now where, you know, a press yeah, release goes just, out and the entire world sees it in minutes. Right, exactly. Um, and finally, there was an advertisement for the Centurion from Titan, mm-hmm. um, which has the unique harness support system. And I just thought this was interesting that, uh, you know, this is when it's first coming out. I think they had their superior suit before then. Mm-hmm. The Centurion is basically their top suit, single-ply suit to this day. Right. Um, also interesting, it said, quote, multicolored suits are not ADFPA legal. So in the ADFPA, which would become the USAPL, you could not have multicolored suits. You could only have one color. No wow. drugs and one color on your suit. So let's just have no fun at all. So, Mr. Bain, let's move on to our review of the 2021 WPO Super Finals. It's fucking crazy. We're already, we're already over it. It's been a week. Yeah. I mean, uh, by the time of this recording, we're, you know, yeah, basically a week past it. Yeah. Um, we'll, I'll probably post this maybe this weekend or, or early next week. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're a week past it, so I think we had a few days to kind of chew on everything. Yeah. Um, let's start with the venue and the setup. Um, I always like Embassy Suites. I think it's a nice hotel. I mean, yeah. I like the fact you get a little bit more room. Um, I like the happy hour. I like breakfast. Yeah. I mean, in general, it's a nice hotel. So from that perspective, for lifters, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice setup. Um, yeah, there's free, free breakfast every morning, um, free happy hour. Nice big room for lifters if you want to have extra people in there with you. And, and it was convenient to, like, you know, a, a grocery store, to a liquor store, to restaurants. Like, it, it was nice. Like, once yeah. you got there, you didn't have to leave that compound. You didn't. And I, when I've gone to that hotel twice now, I've never rented a car. And it's yep. maybe 10 minutes from the airport. Yeah, max, yeah. So pretty convenient. Yeah, I mean, you could walk to a Publix, which is their version of a grocery store. Yep. There was probably five or six restaurants within walking distance. Yeah. If not more, I mean, a lot. Yeah, and um, everything I mean, from Mexican food, breakfast places, sports bar. I think there was like a sushi place. A sushi place. Uh, uh, there was a Texas Roadhouse or something right yep, across the street. Five guys. They had everything, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, other little – there's an ice cream place we went to with yep. Gimmel. Um, you know, <coughs> so, yeah, very nice location. Um, the warm-up room was adequately sized. Um, it was small at Nationals, and I was concerned. Yeah. yeah. Because you're going to have bigger lifters and bigger weights at the WPO. Cruise. Um, they did adjust it. They basically doubled it. Um, yeah. w- the setup they had at the WPO, uh, basically that room, extra room that was kind of off from the main, you know, uh, I don't know. Drag uh, of the, drag. Yeah. yeah. Drag of the, the ballroom they had the meet in. Yep. Um, that room was the weigh-in room at nationals, which gotcha. was convenient, but it made the warm room very small. Um, and it was crowded for nationals. And, you know, I think well, some- a lot more lifters. There was more lifters at Nationals, but there's bigger bigger people at the WPO yeah. and, and bigger weights. And so they did increase it and add another monolift and bench. So, you know, it's good that they – you know, sometimes it's hard to know exactly how a, a venue is going to be until you actually get the equipment in there. Like sure. when you're, It's like a house. You know, you look at a big empty space, then you start filling it up. It's like, wow, that fills up pretty quickly. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I like that. Um, 
the lights and all that kind of set up um, a little bit lesser than some years, but uh, there just wasn't enough space for like what we did in 2019. No, I mean, it was, it was a narrower type of hall that we were in. Uh, I, I think they did an excellent job with, with the setup and, and yeah. utilizing the space and the, and the tools they had available. You know, Gary Frank has a philosophy that you really don't want too big of a room to some degree. Like, it's good to have more room than less, but like to some degree, if the room's too big, you look like you're, you know, you're swimming in that room. Yeah, for sure. And he always favors a little bit smaller rooms for his national meets so that, you know, it looks like you kind of have a crowded space there. Right. For something like the WPO that's a little bit more geared towards um, audience viewing, um, it's one thing where I think, you know, the look of it and maybe being a little smaller and packed in with the audience you do have is, is maybe better. Gotcha. You know, but overall, I thought it was a nice professional look. Um, I liked, I'm not always a big fan of baby blue, but I liked the look of that banner that and the way it, nice. there was a contrast with the banner. Um, you know, overall, it just had a nice uh, professional look. Um, it looked like it looked pretty nice on the live stream yeah. as far as the lighting and that kind of thing. And, you know, the equipment was well stocked. I mean, three, you know, fairly similar monoliths in the warm up area, three competition benches, three Ooh. deadlift areas. Um, all competition bars well stocked by the Iron Compound gym yeah. down there in Fort Lauderdale. I think a great competition motto, great competition bench, and, you know, great bar. Was, everything was, you know, cleaned on, on Friday night by Mr. Uh, Kyle O'Leary. And it, it just everything looked nice and professional, but not like a brand new out of the box. This is equipment that is a part of this this uh, this experience. So it was, it was really cool, like, yeah. to, to see all that. Yeah, a nice setup overall. Um as far as the live stream, which was, you know, one of the focuses of the WPO, yep. um, I thought it was a very professional-looking broadcast. Yeah. Um, I mean, people that watched it were like, you know, Sands being a CBS, you know, ESPN-style yeah. broadcast. Um, as far as the live stream went, it was it was very well done. High-quality high Facebook stream. I mean, there's a difference with, you know, live TV with millions of dollars of camera equipment versus... Right. We're talking maybe thousands of dollars of Michael yeah, Fahey's yeah. personal money mostly going into exactly, this. Exactly, exactly. Um, I thought the announcers did a nice job. I got a lot of compliments from people that really like Dondell Blue as the color guy. I think he he played off of Martucci, Martucci as well as anybody. As Donnie's unique. I, I don't even count him. Uh, yeah, Donnie, Donnie was definitely uh, my favorite, but I did like just kind of the calm, you know, direct demeanor of Dondell Blue. Not quite yeah. as animated as Donnie. Yeah. Um, and, and if for those of you that don't know, um, Dondo Blue was a WPO Finals winner in the middleweights in 2007. Yeah. Yep. Um, he has best lifts of a 1,000-pound squat, 766 bench, 745 deadlift, good for a 24-63 total at 220. Um, and he competed from 96 to 2010, mostly in the APF, WPC, WPO. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the spotters at the relaunch of the WPO in 2018, which was a very long fucking day for yeah. him and his crew. Also, also runs a uh, trucking company now. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, found that out. So, um, and, and again, I think Martucci. To speak of him, I think he seems to get better at every event, like getting to know the sport better, getting to know yep. the lifters. Well, he's just become a fan of lifting and multiply specifically. He's become a big fan. Yeah, I mean, he's got a he's got this is like that great broadcaster voice. Oh, hundred percent. So I, I was I was a fan of the broadcast as far as the commentators went. Yeah, um, I thought Dustin Piatowski, who we discussed this. His first meet was one of my meets that I ran, yep. I believe, at Right Fit in Willowbrook, one of our Illinois Raw Power yeah. Challenge. Yep. Um, and now has moved down to Florida and runs some meets down there. I thought he did a really nice job as the MC, getting the crowd, um, you know, hyped up. Yeah. Um, I know, that, that was something I was legitimately worried about because part of that is normally my job. 
mm-hmm. and part of what I bring. And so, you know, he and I talked and he was kind of told like, Hey, there's gonna be a guy on the platform that is probably unique to, to your experience with uh, running meets. And we, we got to sync very, very quickly. And, and especially once I didn't have much voice left on Sunday, he did a great job of, you know, playing that part that I normally would. And so I think he was, he was awesome. He was excellent. I thought he did a really nice job. And in past WPOs, we haven't really had an announcer, um, no. at least in the super finals in 2019, that was kind of an ESPN decision yep. in 2020. Once again, we did not at the semifinals. Um, I know I announced one day with Brian Carroll. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can't remember somebody else announced the other day. So yeah, I can't remember at the semifinals, we kind of did have an announcer, but it was like, don't say too much. Yeah. You know, so I did like that. It was more of a traditional announcer getting the, the people that were there at the meet more revved up versus like, it's like last year's, one of the complaints of last year's super finals here at 2XL was that it was kind of quiet. There was no announcer. The crowd didn't really know what was going on. Right. That was a conscious decision that was made. And I'm glad the conscious decision was made to go the opposite direction this time and have an in-person MC essentially. Right. So I thought he added a lot to just the overall atmosphere um, of the event. Yeah. The lifters loved him. Like he was, he was great. Yes. Um, the internet did go down on Sunday. Um, it wasn't the high school across the street this time. Yeah. Um, the the hotel du- self. Um, the WPO did pay for a hardline internet. Um, the whole hotel went down. So I know there's some complaints about it. I mean, shy of the WPO. Uh, rent- somebody started the GoFundMe page for it. Yeah, I know. Uh, shy of somebody renting a satellite truck um, for that type of internet. Like there's not other than paying for hardline internet. Like, there's nothing else you can do. Like, yeah. you maybe could have done a, a, a cell phone hotspot, but where we were in, kind of the middle of the hotel, you weren't really getting very good cell phone no, coverage. So a hard line in it was basically the only choice. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And I know some folks, you know, weren't weren't fans of that, but I know we, we worked around it. And I, I believe that the replay, when that happens, will look, I mean, it's going to be excellent. Like Yeah, the, uh, Michael Fay, he records the entire event. Right. And he can post the entire event, like, in full. Yeah. And he can probably take out the breaks and make it one long broadcast for both the men's and the women's day. And it went down on the on Sunday on the and men's I, day. And I believe after the cut version is played wherever it will be, then the full version of with just the breaks cut out will be uh, launched as well. Yep. And I think he might do that not just on Facebook, but maybe on the YouTube, on the YouTube, page, yeah, yeah. YouTube page as well. So let's go on to the women's day yeah. on Saturday. Um, Diana. Dina. Dina, how do you say your last name? DeAndrea. DeAndrea? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Dina, uh, she sort of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, and, and you said you called it national. She's one to watch. Yeah, I, I told Lloyd. I think I might have told you guys as well. Like, she's one to watch. She can get her first bench in. Like, she's she's going to be dangerous. I know she did bomb on the bench at nationals. She did. Um, but I believe she had, from what I was told, a essentially effortless-looking 688 squat. At the it same looks point. really good at nationals. Yeah. She hit that squat, and I was like, we were all like, Holy shit. And yeah. then was like, oh, that was shit. Second gear meet. Oh, no shit. She bombed in the bench. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her first multiply meet was uh, in February last year. <coughs> uh, oh, no, February this year. Excuse yeah. me. It was February this year um, with the APF in Arizona, where she's from. Yep. She previously competed with the USPA and Wobble, Raw, Classic Raw, even some single ply. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, her previous best had been. A 1603 total at 181, good for a 574 gloss bender. Yep. Um, she did a 661 squat, a 413 bench, a 529 deadlift um, at 181, and that was enough to qualify her. But she had bombed at nationals where she had hit a bigger squat. Yep. And then had bombed in the bench. Um, in this meet, 
She squatted 727. Which also looked damn near effortless. She benched 429. She deadlifted 582. Good for a 1790 total at 181. Broke the all-time world record, which was previously held by her coach, Laura Phelps. Yep. And she essentially was... She stole the show. Yeah, she stole the show for the women, and she was far ahead of basically anybody else. Yeah, I mean, mean, she was exceptional. She had a great day, um, and, you know, gosh. I mean, imagine, her first multiply meet totaled 1,600. This meet almost totals 1,800. Yep. And, you know, what's crazy, too, is that... Rebecca Roberts actually had a chance to win with her last pull. And so, so that, that was what was exciting about the ladies' days. There, there is a lot more parity now with some of these ladies that are coming out of the – I don't say come out of the woodwork, but just start starting to get their, their equipped legs. And you're going to see some crazy numbers over the next 24 months. I'm calling that now. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, there's some controversy after the meet. Should Dina have been interviewed after the meet as Dave Hoff was on yes. Sunday? Yes is the answer to that, but. I, I, I understand both sides of this argument, and I think where folks are coming from is they want to see you know that same parity because, again, this, is, this was probably a bigger story than Dave's less than optimal performance. And he even said that it wasn't his optimal performance, but he did what he had to do to win. And I think this was probably a bigger thing that people wanted to hear was from, uh, was from Dina. And honestly, you could hear from, from Tara and some of the other ladies as well because they were all exceptional. Yeah, I mean, uh, Michael Fahey, was, who was running the broadcast, said he basically didn't have the audio port for it on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so there's always something technologically that goes wrong with all this stuff. And so he had to go pick up something new. And his explanation was when he picked up something new, it had an additional audio port. And it was kind of just a spur-of-the-moment thing, like, hey, Dave's there. We've got the extra audio port. Let's plug Dave in there. Yep. Now, could, could he and Wayne have had – you know, just Martucci interview Dina on Saturday and not had all three people in there? Sure. Um, in the end, I think it would have been optimal to interview her as well because people didn't know her, and so it right. would have been a human interest story. To, like, who is this person? Most right. people probably didn't know her. I didn't really. Yeah. I've, I've seen her once. I've, I've met her a few times out in uh, in Las Vegas, and so I, I wanted to hear from her. I know we're, we'll have something about that uh, here soon, but, yeah, it, uh, it was less, less than desirable. But I do believe that the positive that comes out of the controversy is there is change of brewing when it comes to how the ladies are spotlighted within the WPO Championship Series. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything nefarious or sexist about it. I don't think they purposely nope. didn't interview her. I don't think that's Wayne or Michael Fahey's personality. Um, so I, w- would it have been better for her to have been interviewed? Yes. Yep. Um, and let's remember that the previous WPO – there was literally no women's division at all. And when Wayne Pullum relaunched the WPO, he opted to do not, you know, he opted to do both and make it completely equal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. But let's give Wayne Pullum some credit. And hey, it, was it perfect? No. Can it always get better? Yes. Yep. But, you know, I think pointing out that she wasn't interviewed, fair criticism, but let's not put more into it like most of the time the easiest solution is probably the most correct one yeah they probably just didn't think about it and uh, the technology wasn't there necessarily the first day and and i'm I'm not gonna make excuses for it i would have much preferred to see dina interviewed i think a lot of people would have uh but again i've been in contact with quite a few folks that were a part of the initial voicing of the displeasure and they've also been in contact with michael and and with the wpo and again i believe a net positive will come from this situation yeah uh, two-time winner, Tara Weber. Uh, she took second. Yep. She did a 710 squat, a 402 bench, a 485-pound deadlift. Yep. And it looked like her bench was a PR. 
um, she would have had to total 12.5 kilo, kilos over her best, not yep. over the, this total, but over her best PR, which it doesn't seem like it's implausible. Um, right, that's not a crazy number. It's like 125 kilos. This yeah, is... so she was close, mm-hmm. um, but maybe just didn't quite have her best day. Right. Um, a, a nice bench for her, but it didn't look like her squat and deadlift were quite where she would have liked to have, them have been. Right. But still took second. I mean, that's still impressive. Ain't nothing wrong with second. She had quite a process just to get into the U.S. I mean, yeah. I mean, apparently her and her, I don't know if it's her husband or just significant husband. other. Okay. Husband. Uh, they had to go to like six different airports just to get. It was them. wild. They were walking us through like their itinerary. Unbelievable. It's like 24 hours. Yeah, And they like, when they first got on their first flight, their connecting flight had already left. Like, yep. because they bumped back their initial flight and their connecting flight was six hours before their first flight. Yeah. And they're like, how are we supposed to do that? And they're like, uh... Because they just there haven't uh, been a lot point? of flights out of Canada, and they're they are way like they are like yeah. eight they're oh, no they're ten hours north of Seattle. Jesus! So they are far west and far north. Basically, yeah. they're in the tundra. Yeah, essentially, um, it gets chilly up there. So two of my favorites to do really well, and not that they didn't do well, but Rebecca Roberts took third. Yep, and she did a six ninety five squat. A 451 deadlift in which she only got her opener on her second. 451 bench. And what's that? 451 bench. Oh, what did I say? 451 deadlift. Oh, I'm sorry. 451 bench in which she only got her opener. And she got a 562-pound deadlift. Good for a 1708-pound total at 181. Yep. Uh, With, With the age coefficient, though, that's how she was potentially pulling for the win because she is so much older than uh. Yeah, but I don't think they would use the age coefficient in the WPO. I I yelled over to Amy and asked if that was for the win, and she nodded yes. Yeah. So I don't. So I don't know. I, I'm just. I'm just stating what Amy told me because that's what it looked like on the screen. So I, I could could be wrong, but that's what I was asking Amy. Hmm. Well, <laughs> it looked like her squat, bench, and total were uh, were PRs, and that was her best glove. Runner. So it's hard to argue with um, what she did, and it looked by my calculations, it looked like her last deadlift would have put her into second, and so I think that's what she was shooting for. I could be wrong there. Um, but she, I mean, she had a good day. She had a great day. She had a great day. I mean, probably had my favorite save of the day on her. Oh, right on her third bench. Her was opener, it? Her opener. Oh, was her opener. Yeah. Okay. I think came right back to her face and we, we were right on that. Yes. That was one of those quick grabs. Yep. Um, Amber Hansen took fourth and she did a six seventy or seven sixty six pound squat. Jesus Christ. A four thirty five pound bench and a five fifty six pound deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, she got all three of her deadlifts. Um, and it was good for a 1758 total at 198. Everything looked like it was a PR, according to what I saw in open powerlifting. Um, her her bench. I mean, overall she looks solid, but her bench looks so far and away better than I have seen in previous WPOs. It's sure. very obvious she's working with very very good benchers. Well, she's working with Kolb, who, yep. uh, who is surprisingly short. Oh, I, I knew he. I knew he was. Yeah, like I think he's about my height. Five correct? six. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a little taller than me. Yeah. And, and just to show Amber Hansen's progress, um, the 2019 Women's Pro Am, she totaled 1370. She bombed at the 2020 WPO semis. Yep. She totaled 1708 at the Midwest Equipped Open last year. Yep. And at this meet, totaled 1758. And and then is already training for the showdown next month. Yeah, which is raw with wraps or raw uh, with sleeves. Raw with sleeves. Ooh, yikes. Um, Anna McCloskey took fifth, and she had a really nice squad. I mean, yeah. a seven thirty three squad at one eighty one. Yep. Um, which was only her opener. 
um, 385 bench, which was only her opener. Yep. And 473 deadlift, which was her opener. She got on her third. Might have been my favorite lift of the day. After missing it twice, sumo, she came back on her third and got it conventional. Yep. And I guess uh, I, I didn't talk to her. Maybe you did. But uh, it looked like she might have injured herself on one of her second or third squats. She was yeah. kind of limping around. That I saw for sure. It was pretty rough. And, uh, you know, she would have been a contender had she had a better day. Yeah. I mean, she still took fifth with basically her openers. Going three for nine, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she didn't quite have the day she wanted, but was definitely would have been more in the contention had I mean, she had a better day. I mean, all things considered, just moved three weeks ago, really had one training session since being down in Florida in full gear. Like, I, I think she did exceptional. And then I said that deadlift was just all heart, and that was awesome. It looked like she, the next day, she was not limping around. So it looked like it wasn't any, like, you know, permanent hard injury it was probably just that day maybe pulled something yeah um so that that was good to see um uh my teammate our mm-hmm. teammate jennifer gimmel had a really nice pr squad of 584 yep um unfortunately she only got her bench and deadlift openers she barely 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 missed 403 twice on the bench especially that third one god damn i mean it was like inches less than an inch from lockout yep. um and it was kind of do- downhill from there um we we jumped to a pr in her second deadlift which she had not optimal technique and missed and then Better technique on her third, but was just out of gas. Yeah, exactly. So it didn't have a bad day. just didn't have the day she wanted. Yep. Um, and, you know, overall, um, three bombs in the squat. No one, no one bound to the bench, which is which I was, I was surprised. unusual for equipped. Um, L- Lily Starbine came really close. Yes, she, she went down to her last. And that one, that was another great, great lift was her third bench. Anyone else you want to highlight from the women, Mr. Bain? Uh, I mean, the ladies were incredible. I, I definitely want to... Um, Highlight Marilyn Woodman. I think she probably, you know, she had to deal with a lot of variables very, very close to the meet. Uh, I won't get into all that. I think she, one, she'd be a great person to, to interview because she has a, an amazing backstory. Uh, but she came out and showed, same thing, showed just a ton of heart and working with the variables that she was dealing with outside of that meet room and was honestly just incredible. So I, I definitely want to, uh, to highlight her. But all the ladies were just were awesome. We mentioned, you know, many, many great performances. And I think... I said this many, many times. The future of powerlifting is female, and I think it really, really showed on Saturday that like this is a very exciting time around women's powerlifting and women's multiply specifically. Yeah, you know what I, I did think think was interesting, however, and not not a negative, but just interesting is that I'd say there was probably more turnover as far as lifters from the 2018 WPO to the 2021 WPO. I would agree. Um, I think Tara, I believe Tara Weber was at the 2018. I believe won. she was. I believe she won the, the middleweight tournament. I thought she had won that or got yeah, second. Yeah, not 100% she, sure. She got, she got second because it was announced she's never placed lower than second. Oh, that's right. Because didn't they announce her as the winner and it was actually Crystal Tate, I want to say? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yep. I or remember the other that. Yeah, it was. Now I remember that. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think other than her and uh, Gimmel was at 2018, um, was that last year's. Yep. Um, was at this one, but there was a lot of turnover on the lifters uh, from the female side. Not as many repeats as I think the men's probably had more lifters that were at most of the last three, four years. Right. So uh, what that means, I don't know. Um, on the men's side, yep. um, Dave Hoff wins it all again. Does it again. With an 1173 squat, a 1,047-pound bench. B- biggest and, bench in a full power meet ever. And with a, quote, traditional bench shirt. Um, and a 600-pound deadlift, basically a quote-unquote token deadlift, good for a 28, 21-pound total on an off day. A bad, a, 
we'll call it what it is. It was a bad day. Not, not, not. I mean, not that long ago, Gary Frank was breaking the all-time world record total with 24, 25, 26, 27. I think it was maybe 25, 26, 27. I thought he, he was the first one to do 28 as he, well. He might have been. But, I mean, he was going that 100-pound total barrier, you yep. know, every, every year or so. Yep. And, you know, since, obviously, Donnie's broken uh, 3,000. Yep. You know, Hoff's broken that. Um, but, yeah, still totals 28 with, like, 250 pounds below his best deadlift. And, you know, basically is only his opening squat. Yep. He, uh, a court, when I chatted with him very briefly, it sounded like he pulled something in his hamstring adductor glute area yeah. on his second squat of 1250-ish. Yeah, he, he came down pretty quick. That was, uh, that was exciting. And he, uh, you know, was off for him. Not a yep. good day for him, but still wins with a essentially a token deadlift. Yeah. You know, it was cool after the meet. Uh, you know, I congratulated them, and, and we had a quick chat. And uh, he, I asked if I get a picture with him, and he hands me the belt. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa pump the brakes, dude. I, I didn't, I didn't earn that. And he's like, no, the champ says you can hold it, you can hold it. I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty fucking trippy. But so, so one, thanks off. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting to watch then how the strategies. Once it was pretty known that Dave was not 100, percent how strategies suddenly started to change. Yeah, I mean, there, there was, I think, for the first time. There was an opening there. There was. There, there was. There I was. mean, after he, I mean, he lowered his opener to 500. His deadlifts were 500, he, 550, he, 600. He was the first deadlift in. Yeah. In the round. It was he crazy. He was the first, at, which I'd never seen. And not, he's not like, his deadlift is not his best lift. But, no. you know, being a 308, 275, he's typically not opening the round. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, he did what he needed to do. Um, his handlers played the numbers and he pulled what he needed to. He, yeah. he, it's possible he could have pulled slightly more if he would have needed to. But he pulled what he needed to to win. Right. Um, Matt Manuth was back after yeah. the last bombing in the 2019 Super Finals. And, and I was concerned. I told you that before the meet. I was concerned that he may have a repeat of that. Yeah. I mean, he took third in the meet. Um, he did a 1,003 squat. He did an 854 bench. I think attempted 903 twice. Yep. And did a 677 deadlift. Good for a 2606 total at 275. Mm-hmm. Um, he was up. He was at. He was in second. Right up into the last deadlift. Yep. Um, 677 was opener. He missed 705 on his second, and then he went up to 727 on his third, and he missed that at the top. Mm-hmm. And it was close. I mean, it looked like he just lost his grip. Um, I initially thought maybe he was going for the win, but when I crunched the numbers, it looks like to beat Hoff, at least at what Hoff ended up in, right. um, he would have needed about 800 Oof. to beat Hoff, yeah. which I don't think was there for Matt on that day. Now, uh, as we talked about before recording, had Matt hit his – 903 uh, bench. That's a whole different you know, ballgame. You, you add 50 pounds onto your bench, it's an entirely different ballgame. Because, again, the difference between uh, what he was with his deadlift with 727 and, you know, 800, sure, that's 70 pounds, but maybe you hit that bench. Yeah. And, you know, now they drill his pumping for Maybe all that, you just the, got a little extra for juice w, for yeah, it. Exactly. Um, Anthony and I, we've been pronouncing Hobica. his name. Anthony Hobica, we've yep. been pronouncing. You told me it was Hibachia. I did. I fucked it up. Yeah, you fucked it up, and I he you know he yelled at me about that and said I was a bad guy. No, he yeah. didn't. Um, Sounds like Anthony would do that. Yeah, no, he's very actually even killed, <laughs> soft spoken. Um, he took second right on the last deadlift and yep. won by like two coefficient points. Not, yeah, he he squeaked it out. He did a nine eighty one squat, a six fifty bench, yep. a seven twenty seven deadlift, good for a twenty three fifty eight total at one ninety eight. That um, squat was probably the closest I've ever come to catching someone without actually catching them. Um, you know, uh, right up into the last pole. Um, yeah. And he actually changed 
his third attempt deadlift after seeing what Manuth chose. Yep. And he jumped to the same weight as Manuth, went after Manuth. And this was after his bombing at Nationals. Yep. Um, I believe he also bombed to the bench. He did. He was kind of messing around with the bench shirt, as I remember, um, but came back and have a great meet at the WPO and yep. took second. Um, I don't know that uh, Habakia had enough to beat Hoff as maybe I think maybe Manuth might have or the next person we're going to talk about if they had had a better day. But, I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit for taking advantage and taking second. Yeah, I mean, he, he, play, he played his day very, very well. i got to give yeah. him that. So. Yep. Um, Daniel Tina Harrow, yep. a name who I've also mispronounced many times, mm-hmm. um, he took fourth with a 1,003-pound squat, mm-hmm. a 755 bench, and a 755 deadlift. This was, as I'm told, his first 1,000-pound squat in a meet since his injury. And yes. Where he blew out basically both quad tendons. Yes, and it was it, it was incredible, and it was dope when, you know, he came, he comes up, and if you watch the video, he's smiling. I was pretty darn sure he had it, and once those white lights hit, he just kind of just took a moment, a Danny moment, where he just big breath. You know, he was he was you know pretty pretty happy, but also and, and outwardly excited, which you don't typically see with him. Very very rarely see with him. And then he he was legitimately emotional about it because I think after Seth picked him up to celebrate, that's when it kind of hit him, mm-hmm. and, that, and that was cool. That was uh, that was very very exciting to see that, and that was uh, I was very happy to be a part of that with uh, with Danny uh, to see him overcome that uh, that hump because I remember that was a all in jest, but it was a, a joke that was made last year at the Shutdown Storm. When a bunch of the WPO competitors, Bob Merck, Brian Hill, Danny, and a couple others, and the only person who had not squatted a thousand pounds in a meet since Danny's injury was Danny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, he really only got his bench and deadlift openers. Yep. Had he gotten um, his second attempt on bench or deadlift, I believe that would have, by my calculations, that would have put him into second. That would have, yep. And had he gotten his second and then maybe got something more on a third on either bench or deadlift, and I don't, I don't know how close they were because I wasn't he, always right on the platform. He, he would have been nipping at, at Dave. He was pretty close to Dave, but it, had he had a little bit better day, um, he was pretty close to jumping from fourth to second. And that shows you how close some of these you know, top three, four, five lifters were. Um, so there's some really good – I appreciated from a sport perspective, especially the men's day. And there, yeah. was, there was some jockeying for position, not as much for first on the women's day. I mean, Dina just seemingly run, ran away she, with she, it. Yeah, once, once they got the deadlift, she was running away. Yeah, but there was some jockeying for position, only almost a little bit more with the men. Um, it, it was kind of cool to see people actually go and change attempts. And yep. if you didn't know, you can change your second deadlift once, your third deadlift twice. There was definitely some changing of attempts. Um so it was good to see that strategy involved yeah. in the meet. And, you know, uh, Rudy Rosales of Overkill, mm-hmm. I mean, he had on his phone, he had a little, like, He had the pro- charts. He had, he had the program set up. He was, he was calculating right numbers. you got to give him credit. I mean, I, I believe he was definitely calling numbers for Habakia. Yep. I don't know if he was also calling number for Manuth. He's also an Overkill guy. I don't think he was calling them for Manuth. I think he was putting them in, but Manuth had the plan. And, yeah, he sure. was calling them for Habakia, him and Brian Carroll. Uh, I don't think he was calling them for... Anna, I think he was calling for Rebecca Roberts. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you got to give Rudy some credit. Um, I mean, calling four, the numbers four out of the six money winners. Yeah, and Habika, you know, from a strategy perspective, he won by two coefficient points, and it was specifically because of the numbers he changed yep. to call in the deadlift, and that takes a lot of you know not just great attempt selection, but actually calculating the numbers yep. and from a strategic no, standpoint, knowing exactly what you knowing need, knowing exactly what you need, right? That was um, an excellent job. Your your uh, your uh, my what, buddy, your, your bromance buddy. That's right. Uh, Bob Merck was battling some injuries in his hips. Had yep. an off day, 
took fifth um, and famously, infamously, had his 1,002-pound... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 1,102-pound uh, miss, which led to the catch yep. with Bain and crew. Um, gosh, I mean, super impressive by you and your crew, Mr. Bain. Um, I, I kind of look at this like the Mick Foley jump off the hell in the cell. <laughs> yeah. Like, thank you for doing it. And like Vince McMahon said to him, I never want to... Ideally, I would never want to see it again because that was scary for me. I was... Uh, you know, I, I made a post about it, and you know, Sean Coppin had some fun with it, and, and rightfully so, because this could be very easily seen as self-aggrandizing. That was not the point. My bigger thing was that people kept talking about me zurturing that. Understand that the team is who caught that and did exact. We talk about those oh shit moments, and, and that's why I do the and, and it annoys the hell out of a lot of people when I go through. This is how you side spot. This is where you stand. This is where your feet placement is. This is where your hand placement. This is where the bar is in relation to your elbow for this exact moment because everybody reacted. As exactly as they would, where they pulled the, the their hands into themselves, it locked the bar up, and then I was able to body that bar up after you know. And this all happened in the course of you know less than a quarter second. Very me, quick. It was very quick. Me bumping Bob because I I saw that bar start to roll and pull his arm back. I'm like, this thing is this is a career killer. We so the him. bar the bar fell, and then you kind yes. of bumped him forward. It was it was in the process of falling. Once it was at his hand at his fingertips, that's when I bumped him, and that's what shot him out. Sure. And the bar, if you watch, kind of pops off his back and then falls into sure. us. Sure. Yeah, I don't ever want to see it again, Mr. Bain. Um, I'm just glad we were there. I, yeah, I'm glad you helped save him. And, and Merck was fine. He was. I, I think he was a little beat up in general, but I don't, like, he wasn't catastrophically injured no. on that we, lift as could have happened. Which, which, yeah, he could have been. The spotters could have been. I think the, you know, well, the spotters did a phenomenal job. The team's exactly as we've coached. And, uh, yeah, I got a lot of really nice compliments within the day, like, what, what was very difficult for me and what got my adrenaline going so hard was I'm laying there see, or standing there seeing my friend laid out completely motionless while he's just kind of collecting himself. And then I look up and I see his you know daughter is bawling. I see his wife is just in shock. And the only thing I can think of is, shit, we're still holding on to this bar. Yeah, and I was standing uh, in you the You were back. very close. I was standing in the back. Uh, his teammate, Matt Magnavita. Yep. Was like it, they do the, the the oddest knee wrap method I've ever seen. They do he a, stands up, yeah. They do a no him and Merck both. Yeah, they do a standing knee wrap. They don't sit in a chair. They just stand there because there is not room in the Merck basement for that. I guess that's how that's why they do it that way. So Magnavita had his second knee almost fully wrapped when Merck yep. shot forward, and he said, "Should I keep wrapping?" And I said, "It looks like they have the bar, but I'm not sure." And then we called over to McDaniel's or Beverly, yeah, and they just said, yeah. "Go ahead and tell them to unwrap." Because um, Matt actually threw up in his mouth when he because he he thought Bob was like hurt hurt. Well, because they asked me, is he hurt? And I said, I have to be honest, I don't know. Because yeah. at that point, he's laying on the ground, yep. and I was just trying to to get whatever the message was. Should he? Are, do you guys get the bar and back in the rack? Yep. Because he probably could have stayed wrapped, and you could have gotten the bar up in time. Sure. But like, you know, Merck's laying there on the ground. Nobody's one hundred percent sure what's happening. Are we going to have to call nine one one? Let's reset. Let's right. Put, yeah. When he when he walked off, one that was a huge relief. That was very nice. Um, you know we took a second, reset ourselves, and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, Matt came out and hit a, hit a big fucking squat after that. Yeah, that, that, that takes some good concentration on his part yeah. because he had his knees wrapped twice in the course of, like, three minutes. Plus, that's his coach. Who's that, that's his coach. Yeah. That's his friend. That's his training partner yep. that just, you know, dropped 1,100 off his back, and you're about to attempt basically the same weight, yep. a little bit more. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, credits you guys, and I'm glad that Merck was okay. Yep. Um, uh, you know, one of my favorite lifters to watch in the day in general was Kyle Miller. Just Dude, he fucking executed. Just had a really, really solid day. He's a really consistent lifter. I like his his form and his technique. He leaves no doubt on 
on, on the depth, execution on, of his yeah. le- lifts. I mean, he took sixth. Um, he, you know, he was really excited that he has first thousand pound squat. Yep. He squatted a thousand. He benched six hundred, and he deadlifted eight hundred. I mean, do he ripped eight oh four? Like, I mean, that thing flew. He, I mean, there's one thing is he's an explosive lifter. He, I mean, it just dude, yes. talk about speed. Holy cow! Yeah. So a credit is, uh, to credit to the. Uh, the sweatshop and, and Laura Phelps's crew there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a really great day by, by as him. his fiance Nikki likes to say, fuck yeah, Kyle. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, there was five bombs in the men's day. Yeah. Um, two in the squat, three in the bench. Um, I personally was surprised to see our, our pal Anthony Oliveira bomb. Yep. It just didn't look like, I mean, his bench, it just couldn't lock them out. Uh, you know what? I think he had a lot of stuff going on outside of that room. Um, well, because he with, missed his second squat yeah. and then came back and got it and was yep. pretty animated. Yeah, that was a uh, he got the rat call as he was tipping. Yep. And I, I, you know, he he got the call. So we of course we we wrap him up and we get him in. And he was he was concerned because he felt himself start to tip as well. Yeah, just kind of kind of an off day. Yep. Um And I know he said he felt pretty strong in training and just. He said he, you know, had some trouble putting it together with travel, and it, it's yeah, tough. I it mean, can be, yeah. it can be tough to do that. Um, you know, I was disappointed to see Henry Thomas and bomb. He just seemed off on the bench, and even in the squat, he did get a squat yeah. and just kind of looked off. In I, I was concerned when I saw him say that you know he was flying out Friday morning or uh, Saturday morning to come weigh in, mm-hmm. and so I, I just it felt like it was suboptimal to me. Yeah, uh, but again, you know, each situation is different, and yeah, it was definitely disappointing. Same thing with, with Joseph Lindsay. You know, watching that bull shirt, that yeah. was uh, that was a little, little scary. Uh, yeah, because I actually went up to him and said, "Oh, you got the Inzer Bolt." Yeah. it's it's kind of like this mythical shirt that like has been on the IPF approved list for yeah. like years, but you couldn't get it unless you were sponsored. And so uh, he had he said it. He really liked it. It was single ply. Cool. Said he didn't need a double ply, and it just ripped. And then someone gave him another bolt that yeah. they just happened to have. and Bolt? And it was, uh, I guess, brand new. And then he just could not. I mean, Couldn't touch. A brand new shirt. It's just, you know, he gave it his best shot. He wasn't. He, he was just, he kind of had the right attitude. But I said, well, what else am I going to do now? I just right. go out there and try it twice. Yep. Um, but, yeah, disappointing um, to see that happen as yep. well. Um, a- any other thoughts on any other men that you saw on that day, Mr. Bain? Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, Dylan Price had a great, uh, great day. Also, well, I got brought a- us around a drinks at the end. Yeah, which he did. I appreciate. He did. I appreciate that. Also, uh, gotta give props to Adam Zevchek. I did not realize this whole story about him going in for surgery and dying on the operating table. Crazy. Just getting cleared in May to, to lift. I mean that that's incredible. A lot of personal obstacles there for him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I definitely I highlight. He's going to be here. He told me. Both in both 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 in November for an intro meet for his girlfriend, and yep. then back for the Midwest Equipped Open. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the Midwest Equipped is going to be quite the uh, quite the event. I, I like it. I, I'm not upset about it. I, I you know, it's it's essentially as far as we know, it's the last chance qualifier. So yeah, last chance. Yeah. Uh, what overall thoughts of the uh, of the weekend? Um, you know, I was a little disappointed at the number of lifters. Sure. I mean, I would have liked to have seen closer to twenty five thirty a day. Um, you know, there were some, quote, other meets going on that are, I think, taking some of the top lifters from Multiply away. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I get it. I mean, free market, you're, you're willing to do what you can. And I know there were some criticisms of past WPOs and communication and structure. Perception. Uh, but uh, let's be honest here. I, I, you know, and hey, all lifters, are, are they are going to do what they want to do, and that's fine. I, I think sometimes maybe people could give the officials just a little bit of grace considering we still put on a WPO Superfinals last year yep. 
in the middle of a fucking pandemic, still give out prize money, mm-hmm. still had, you know, I think a, you know, it's my gym, so I, I think it's a good venue, but yep. still, a, you know, a large venue for lifters. Um, you know, and it was a different structure last year. It was a different structure this year. Yeah. It's still because of the pandemic, but we didn't suspend meets. You know, we didn't cancel it. We just figured shit out. Yeah. And it, was it all optimal last year, this year? Maybe not. Um, but I think it really splinters an already splintered version of the sport in Multiply. And I, I would rather see some of those top lifters at the WPO. And it was always for years, oh, I wish the WPO would come back. I don't even care about if there's prize money. We just want the platform and the atmosphere back like it was at the Arnold. Yep. And I think Wayne Pullum has tried to provide that. And he has not tried to overpromise. Like, unfortunately, Karen Kidder maybe did with prize money. Yep. He gave out solid prize money this year. Was it life-changing? No, but he basically has under-promised and over-delivered when it comes to that part. Uh, um, I agree. And here's the thing. You're not going to please everybody. Period. No. Full stop. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and I think the product that Wayne has put out with the help of Michael Fahey, with the operations teams he's brought in, with the staff, I think it's been incredible. It's been a net positive for all of powerlifting, but especially yeah. <laughs> COVID uh, <laughs> multiply. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Um, if the I will say, and and I think Wayne's doing it right. But if the prize money became much bigger, let's say it got to that, you know, fifty thousand dollars for the top winner. That, if it became that changes a lot of things, right? People would bitch, but then they would show up. So when the right. prize money is less, unfortunately, you're going to have a little bit more splintering. Um, but a lot of people can put on big meets. Like there's been a lot of pro-ams through the years yeah. and it'll be around for a year or two and it'll disappear. Right. You know, and not to say the WPO is solidly going to be around for the next 20 years. I don't know that for sure, but I hope so. But we now have a consistency of running the meet year after year, yep. prize money year after year. Um, broadcasting. Well, broadcasting, right. Yeah, you know, it's trying a, to improve it year after year, after year as best they can, yep. given the conditions that are in front of them. Yeah. Um, I think the lack of the band, quote, shirts has turned some lifters away that would rather use sure. their slanger shirts. Sure. Um, and, 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 and even saying I would have rather had more people, in some ways it was kind of nice to have one flight per day to just focus on the top yeah, lifters. Yeah, it's kind of dope. I did like that. Have a little bit of break between. I mean, there might be some logic to just having the top 20 lifters each stand having one big flight. I yeah. mean, I, I, I guess I would rather have 30, but in some ways it was less of a sprint yeah. when it came to the logistics of flight after flight after flight, yeah. and the warm room was a little less chaotic. Um, but I would rather have a little bit more because if the concept is the best 30 men and the best 30 women – or one day, the best, you know, 15 men, the best 15 women, I would rather have that. Yep, for sure. Um, I was happy to help out myself on Sunday. Um, yeah. I was, you know, played a small role in, you know, kind of keeping lifters lined up and a little bit of crowd control. Some lifters had a lot of people back there. Um, it got a little crowded, but not too bad. Yeah. Um, I, I felt overall the judging was consistent. Very. And, uh, you know, fair. Um, I didn't hear a lot of... But both... Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't hear a lot of complaining about the judging there online. Not that people would complain to me; they probably wouldn't. Yeah, there were a couple of comments online about the uh, the left judge on Sunday, uh, not knowing where the white button was. But at the end of the day, like I, I felt it was who's consistent. The left judge on Sunday was that McDaniel or Dan? Uh, it, from the camera angle, my left would have been Greg. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, Greg Damaga, I think, is a pretty fair judge. He, he's consistent. He's and very he's consistent, and he knows. He, 
I would say he knows what a squat is. I mean, although Mike McDaniel, the other judge, is, again, also very fair Excellent. and consistent yep. As when it comes to squat depth. Um, you know, I thought the running of the meet overall was very solid. Yeah. It, it, it is easier to do when you only have one flight per day. There's less, you know, chaos than with two flights or three. But nonetheless, like with what was given, um, I don't believe there's any misloads. Uh, no, there were not. Uh, I don't believe there was any, like, no drops, no misloads, no injuries. There, other yeah. than the, the obvious one, the Hoffman yeah. still Yeah, well, no serious injuries. Yeah. I don't think there was any, like, um, lifters out of order or misannounced. Um, uh, there was one out of order, I think, on the ladies' day where uh, Lindsey Bramble had changed uh, her deadlift. Mm-hmm. And for, somehow, because of the weight difference in her and whoever the lifter was, it was her and Lily, uh, they got flip-flopped. Yeah. So, or, or no, actually, take that back. Lily was accidentally marked a missed lift. Though she had not lifted yet on her oh, third deadlift. Yeah, and that, that happens sometimes. Yeah, but overall, yeah, I mean. But we, we caught it right away, and, uh, you know, no big deal. We, we reset it, and I believe both got the list. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think overall, you know, solid running of the meet. I, I, yeah. I heard a lot of compliments on that aspect of it. Um, overall thoughts from you, Mr. Bain? Uh, you know, I actually, as we're sitting here talking, I am remiss if I do not mention legend Debbie Damaga going for a six times age squat. Twice, which was incredible. Almost yeah, got it on the and third. just barely missed it, as I understand. On the third, yeah. yeah. So, second, she didn't have it. But the third one, she got to the top, started the tip a little bit, but did get the rack command and thought she had gotten it. But they, they gave her reds for, for tipping back. Ah, so, so. Un- unfortunate, but amazing performance by, by her as well. But overall, great meet. Love being a part of it. Uh, it. I love being a part of that spotting crew. I think it's just really, really cool. I think folks understand how seriously we take it. And it's, it's, it's like being a goalkeeper in, in hockey and soccer. You know, you're not needed. No one cares until those three seconds when it matters most. Sure. You, usually you only get, you know, uh, like the 2016 yeah. IPF for All Worlds. You only get, you know, complaints when you do it poorly. Usually. Right, right. And I think we, we, you know, that crew was awesome. And, and considering that, you know, John Campion and I had not worked with that group before, uh, I, I had worked with uh, Kyle and uh, Hunter uh, previously, but – uh, overall, I said they they were awesome. A lot of these guys had never been in, the, in a meet atmosphere like this, and they were they were very nervous. But once we got in the rhythm, then we just we went, we moved, everybody executed, and so that was great. Uh, I think the production was awesome. Everything I saw from the live stream of watching that, just to you know, kind of get a feel for what it looked like at home, uh, was was great. Matt Martici did a phenomenal job, and I think overall, it, directionally, the the WPO is you know accelerating what Multiply is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very excited about that. Very happy to be a part of it and, and thankful for that and excited to be hopefully a, a part in a, in a different fashion next year. Okay. Uh, what will, what will the future of the WPO be? And that's we, a great question. We don't have the answer for that. Let's, let's, I mean, and Bane's Mr. Spotter. I'm just occasional official. So. And, and don't wrong. We grilled Wayne Pullum on this. Yeah. I would like to know if I had news to break, I would break it. Um, will there be a return to a semifinals finals format? It seems like maybe, um, the answer was not no on that. Yeah, it was, um, there was a non-committal answer there. Despite being on the Arnold website, we have received word that the WPO will not yeah, be at the for, Arnold Classic. For sure, not at the Arnold. Yeah, not at the Arnold. Um, there are, quote, big things planned. Yep. Um, this is just uh, – this is uh, – First, Eric's opinion here. Yeah, yeah. I was going to preface the opinion. This is Eric Stone's opinion here, and I, I think we've done – a lot of putting over Michael and uh, Wayne on putting together this meet. And this, these are not criticisms. These are just me 
as a fellow meat director, <laughs> I would encourage Wayne Pullum and Michael Fahey as his, uh, you know, kind of marketing Pro- guru, producer, yeah. producer to make the process clear and concise moving forward on qualifying, on the format of the meat yep. or meats, and clear on how alternates can be considered. Yep. Because there were people who were not on the initial 30 list who um, did not maybe follow the traditional qualification method that were allowed to be added. And I don't think... I mean, I, our, the winner of the ladies' day was. I, I don't think there was any... No, she. I think she qualified in the traditional fashion because she did an APF meet. In 2020? Yeah, I'm not sure about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, oh, anyway. you're right. She, it was at the beginning of 2021. So correct. you're correct. correct. So it was slightly beyond. Now, I think the people that qualified in the traditional fashion, which in previous years had been you qualified an APF WPC meet in the previous calendar year, yep. I think had all those people accepted, those 30 people would have gone. Yeah. It was when some or a lot of those people did not, they went to alternates. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. I think they filled the roster with people that were qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they should be – transparency is always better than lack of transparency on that. Yep. And I think it's always better to be clear. And, and to be fair, I just went over a story how I thought I was very clear on when the weigh-ins were yep. and how you could check your weight at the gym. And I had a lifter show up to weigh in for Sunday three, lifting three days later. on Wednesday. Yeah. So I'm not saying that they've done a poor job of this per se or that they haven't done this. I'm just saying that I think... Be explicit. Be very explicit. Put it on the front page of your website, on the front page of your Instagram. Make it very clear and concise because I get questions about this. You get questions about this. Constantly. And that's, again, that's not to say they haven't put the information out there. Sometimes people just need to look for I mean, it. I mean, they put the, the room number for weigh-ins on the Instagram page, and people were asking me, where do we weigh in? I, I mean, I was directing people up to Room 224. There. Yeah, I was, I was directing people, hey, you know, the weigh-ins are upstairs, right? They're like, really? I'm like, Yes. Yes, that's right there. But yes. Yeah. But, but yeah, I would say, un- unfortunately, you do have to be probably overly communicative on this process. And that would be my encouragement moving forward is whatever these plans are, when it's decided, make it clear and concise so Agreed. that everybody knows what is going forward. And there aren't people saying after the fact, oh, well, I didn't know about that. Yep. Agreed. Any other final thoughts in the WPO, Mr. Bain? Uh, 2022 is going to be lit. That's okay. All I'm say. Okay. I I would I hope so. Um, I look forward to the continued growth of WPO. Yep. You know, uh, I was tagging with uh, our photographer, uh, Sherm, Sherman Edwards. Yeah. Sherman Edwards, and you know, he was asking me um, what impact, which I thought was an actually a, a really good question. What impact has the WPO had on the APF? And I said, Positive. and I said, I don't know the answer because I don't directly have the numbers in front of me, but I would say in general. As a meat director looking around and, and somebody that's on the executive board, I think it's been a net positive. Yep. I think it's drawn more talented lifters to the APF. Yeah. Um, I think it has drawn... Using a lot of raw folks converted over. Yeah. I think it has drawn positive attention to the APF's multiplied division. Um, and overall, I think it's been a net positive for the APF. I mean, you look at that chart... Um, that we referenced earlier from, what was that, King of the Lifts? Yep. And it looks like RPS, which runs a lot of local meets. I don't, and, and this is not, I'm not criticizing RPS, but it looks to me like they just run a lot of local meets on the East Coast. So they have a, a large number of lifters. I'm not sure they have quite the same structure and process that we have of, you know, right. Nationals, Worlds, WPO. So I think we have a better structure, but it looks like we have surpassed them in recent years, um, moving us perhaps into third place 
uh, we, the APF, as far as number of lifters in our organization, mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that is because of the WPO, and I think drawing I new lifters in the organization. Totally so, agree. Um, I think it's a net positive to have that ultimate multiply uh, platform for lifters to um, come through the APF. Agreed. So next week and beyond, Mr. Bain, um, we've got some very excellent interviews oh, on yeah. the way. I'm, I'm excited for this one. Um, we've still got our 20, 1020 Life review on the docket. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think after doing our coefficient episode, um, you know, that's a topic we can dive deeper into. There's some others. I think anabolics. I mean, we talked about a little bit today in our Palooza throwback. Yep. Um, I've got some ideas and some deeper dives you can do there. We've we've kind of like started to scratch the surface on a couple, you know, those hot button topics that I think we could probably, you know, double back on and do a little bit deeper Just dive. to educate, not to encourage. <laughs> you know, what was funny is your, your buddy uh, had a recent post uh, talking about like I think he rebought, brought up his post or his podcast topic of drug you should not be encouraged in powerlifting. Yep. Um, yeah. Whatever. So. <laughs> um, I'm handing, handing my phone over to oh, Eric right okay. now. Okay. When he won't say how he's earned eleven hundred pounds. All right then, keep your secret. Who sent that to you? Like copy on. Oh, the, you mean hashtag the world's largest spotter, dude? The amount of people that approached us about this. And here's the thing. If you've never met John Compion before and you see him, like you understand he's big. If you've never met me or Eric, so you don't have necessarily context, you see us next to each other, you see he's big. Anthony Alvaro said it best. Like, dude, I see you every week in training. I see the, the comparisons with you and Bain and Trace. Like, I see you in person every time, and I'm just astounded at how fucking big you are. Yeah, John Compion is a large, large man. He is, and he's and he's awesome, man. He yeah. he did he was incredible this weekend, and uh, I was so happy he was able to come down. You know, and, and it's it's so funny with John Compion because he emailed me before the 2019 WPO, yep. and he's like, "Hey, how do I get tickets to watch?" And I remember him lifting in one of our meets, yep. and I was like, "How would you like to spot?" Because we talked about it. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, "That's a that's a large like, man." Dude, fuck yes, we want him there. Yeah, exactly, and he's he's done a great job. Yes, he has. Um, yeah. Um. So yeah, I think we got some deeper dives into uh, some of our past topics that we we've touched upon like coefficients yeah um leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you like the podcast um uh, we always appreciate uh, feedback on instagram um i think i i sent you an email i got like a page long email yeah, from did. somebody you know talking about how he enjoyed the history of the sport that we covered and talking about this whole usapl ipf issue yep. um so i i do appreciate band appreciates getting the feedback i do um it it makes us believe that we're we're hitting good chords yeah. on the podcast topics when we get feedback. Definitely, um, I, we don't get as much feedback on the interviews because it's just you know it kind of is what it is. You know, yeah. we're, we're telling the person's story, but I like when we get the feedback on these you know topical type uh, podcasts that and, we do. And we're always open to hearing on new topics. You know, we we definitely want to hear. You know, folks want us to discuss stuff more than open to it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, visit our merch store. Um, we we had a lot of people asking the Midwest asking side, about yeah. the Midwest side shirts because I was wearing that and yeah. it was prominent on the on the live stream when I was handing off to Gimmel. And I believe we're going to have a couple more shirts coming. The strength and anger ones. Uh, it'll be there on me day. Uh, I like that one. And then uh, back, 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 back. Take it. Oh, I should we do back, 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 take it, or, or back, 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 perfect? I think we should do both. We should have a take it right underneath there, and then perfect. Just have that down in the ass. Okay. All right. Well, we'll work on that, Mr. Bain. Um, always good to update the merch. Yes. Yes. Um, with that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.